Today on Maine Calling, bringing exotic pets into your home. Why and what's allowed? Dogs are the most popular pet in America with an estimated 50 million living in our homes. Cats aren't far behind at more than 30 million, but then the numbers drop way down. About a million homes keep fish tanks and a small percentage of us keep reptiles, birds, ferrets, rabbits, and other mammals. This encompasses the world of exotic pets. I'm Jennifer Rooks. Today on Main Calling, we will learn about people who love sugar gliders and Chinese water dragons, emus and frogs, even insects kept as pets. We'll find out what's allowed in Maine, what's not, and why. And local animal rehabilitation pros will share stories about unusual rescues and tips for caring for your exotic pet. Maine Calling is just ahead. Maine Calling On Demand is made possible by listeners and by Maine Seacoast Mission, strengthening Maine's coastal and island communities through education, health, and support. Learn more at seacoastmission.org. And by Welch and Forbes, working with clients to manage the full range of events that come with building wealth, from investments to trustee services. More welchforbes.com. I'm Jennifer Rooks, and this is Maine Calling. Some people are drawn to the out of ordinary, and that includes their choice of pets, chinchillas, emus, pythons, tarantulas, for example. Today, we're going to find out what kind of unusual pets are legal to have in Maine, what kind of animals are legal to have as pets, how to care for them, and what to watch out for. Our guest, Andrew Desjardins, who is an educator, animal rehabilitator, and owner of Mr. Drew and His Animals Too. Dr. Alex Monroe, a veterinarian specializing in exotic pets with Topsom Veterinary Wellness Center. And Sam Rutka, freshwater manager at Easy Aquarium in Westbrook. Join the conversation by giving us a call, 1-800-399-3566. Post a comment on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or send us a brief email, talk at mainpublic.org. Again, talk at mainpublic.org. Do you, are you a person who owns exotic pets? We want to hear from you. We want to hear why and, and what you love about them. Also, if you have any questions about the health of those pets for our experts. Drew, I'll start with you. What counts as an exotic pet? Um, I know that dogs and cats are the most common pet. Is is a hamster an exotic pet? Is a gecko? The the definition of an exotic pet, it, it, I guess everybody has a different, different definition. But what makes it an exotic pet is, one, it is not native to Maine, even if it's native to the United States, it might not be considered an exotic, but it could be, you know, it's very touchy and wishy-washy on what they define, but if it's not native to Maine, it's usually an exotic. It it comes from somewhere else. It doesn't belong here. It's not native to here. It's definitely exotic. All right. So Dr. Monroe, tell us about the laws in Maine in terms of what you're allowed to have and not allowed to have. 
Oh, that very, very much varies depending on what type of animal you're talking about. There are certain birds that you're not allowed to have. There's certain birds you're supposed to get uh, permits for, especially when you get in the wildlife side of things. There's certain species of parrots that you're not supposed to have. Um, there are ones that you have to have microchipped and reported to the state before you get them. Even some of the ones you'd think uh, wouldn't be, like certain species of Amazon parrot or certain parrots that are on the... Um, like to be watched list, not a, like species of special interest. Um, I've had people that have asked me about reptiles where if it's in any remote form of venomous species, um, that is one of those ones that you need to have very specific criteria and go through the state to get. One was a Gila monster, as a matter of fact. Um, and geez, it, you literally have to look at the specific laws for what you're looking for. Uh, case in point, uh, just on Saturday, I got to look at a, an iguanid for the first time in almost 20 years, which iguanas haven't been, unless you have a pre-existing permit, they're not supposed to be in the state of Maine because of their uh, husbandry needs. And there's a whole bunch of them that I think are very similar and should be on that list, but they've picked and chosen kind of arbitrarily when it comes to it. Um, I'm not involved in those like decisions, so it's hard for me to say how they came to those uh, like the terminations, even with small mammals, uh, I didn't have to worry about uh, pygmy hedgehogs until about two years ago, which was uh, fine by me because I'm allergic to them. Um, <laughs> now they're legal in Maine. That's so, that's yeah, not, not good. A veterinarian allergic to some of the pets. Dr. Monroe, I, I have to say that when I introduced the guests on today's show, I left someone out. Um, you are joined by Doc the Macaw today. Yep. Tell me about Doc. Yep. Doc is a relatively new uh, associate at the hospital, so to say. Um, we had a uh, client and mutual friend of mine that, uh, unfortunately, the prior owner for Doc uh, had a slight case of cancer, uh, which did not go that well, but she also had five macaws. Um, Doc was actually the smallest of her flock. She had an African gray, an eclectus, and two big blue and with golds. And oh, oh, there's Bernie. Um, it, what happened was... Uh, Doc here ended up being adopted by the hospital owner, Dr. Amy Ructionis. And I'm just the guy that uh, fixes the birds if there's a problem. She has a cockatiel as well that thinks he's a pit bull. Um, and uh, Doc is pretty much living the life using us as a, her little organic perches. Um, has to be the center of attention, obviously. Um, <laughs> I should say we're having this conversation and, uh, on Zoom. Yeah. And the entire time you've been talking, Doc has been moving from one shoulder to the other. And I think giving you kisses while you've tried to talk and answer my questions. Yeah. Yeah, she is. She's not terribly used to people having just exposed mouths because of all the, the masking rules in the small hospital here. But she's starting to <laughs> give kisses just like that every time she sees a mouth. So she has no okay. bounds, obviously. <laughs> well, Dr. Monroe and um, Doc have their thing going on over there. I'm going to turn to you, Sam. I'm sure that you meet all kinds of people in the shop. And I wondered if you can talk about um, the exotic pet community. Who Who is out there who's excited about exotic pets? Can you characterize this group of people in any way? Absolutely. So the people who are interested in exotic pets are everybody. Who, who doesn't love to look at these fantastic animals that they're not used to seeing, you know, while they're outside going to the mailbox or on their way to work or school. Uh, 
honestly, everybody loves exotic pets to different degrees. Now, how many people are willing to own them and are able to take care of them, that can change things a little bit. But whether it's a betta fish in a tank or uh, a snake or a parrot on your shoulder, I think that there's a lot of different a lot of different people and everybody really loves the exotic pets, having them, looking at them and learning about them. And I think that starts with everybody at a very young age. I want to ask you, Drew, I know personally, and I'm sure everybody listening does as well, a little kid who's caught a turtle and brought it home or a frog or a salamander or fill in the blank. Uh, is that okay? There's certain regulations in place to one, obviously protect Maine wildlife. The, the key thing is a lot of times people look at an animal and think, well, how hard can it be? Or, or, you know, geez, it's only a baby. It's cute. But they don't take the time to learn the full things. And Maine does have regulations in place. So can you just go grab any animal out of the wild? No, um, you can't. There are certain things that are endangered, you know, in, like, for example, in Maine, we have seven species of turtles that are native, and four of them are a special concern or an endangered species. When they're babies, a lot of them look similar. And if you don't know what you've got, you might have a species that is very much protected and illegal to have. Um, and again, it's impulse. I think well, a lot of times we see a baby turtle or we see a little frog and think, oh, I want to keep that as a pet without taking the time to learn about it. And that usually doesn't end well for the animal. So it's very important that we learn about them first. Um, and the main laws and, and, you know, we can, there's ways to get that information very easily. Uh, but I, I honestly say, if you found it outside, it's a wild animal, leave it outside. Mm, go ahead, Sam. A lot of people will come into the shop at any given point and they'll say, oh, I rescued this turtle <laughs> or I rescued this salamander. And I would like to say, while I appreciate your enthusiasm, and we all love to interact with animals in the wild respectfully, but when you rescue that wild animal and bring it inside, you're actually not rescuing it, you're abducting it. So if you can leave the animals where they are, just like a beautiful field of flowers, so that everyone can enjoy them from afar, let them live their life in their environment while we live ours, and we can all cohabitate peacefully. Dr. Monroe, Alex, tell me what you see at the veterinary clinic. What, what do you see most commonly? And, and what kind of problems do you see most commonly? Um, I would say the majority of the weird critters, I guess, the, your exotics that I see, a lot of rabbits, a uh, lot of guinea pigs, which I am okay with. They're my favorite exotic. Um, as far as getting into birds, um, the smaller ones tend to be more common, your parakeets, your cockatiels. Um, and then when you get into the bigger birds, it really depends on like where people are coming from, where they're living. Um, as far as getting into reptiles, a lot of ball pythons, um, a lot of corn snakes. Um, ball pythons are probably the most common snakes I see. Um, as far as the actual lizards, uh, bearded dragons, and leopard geckos, um, and as far as the most common problems that I see, especially with reptiles, it's mostly and if not initially all husbandry related. Um, and uh, that stems from people, I guess, seeing this cute little baby beardy 
um, getting a simple little handout from Petco, sometimes yes, sometimes not, or they get it from Facebook Marketplace. And the rest of it is through the, you know, the, the, the abyss that is you know, the internet and Facebook and things like that. There's so much, especially for species like leopard geckos, which are common, information that is varied um, for their care, which is it, it, not always right. It's one of those things like the, the most uh, dangerous word spoken is this is the way we've always done it. Um, when there's new information coming out all the time that are based on actual studies, uh, but people don't know where to access that. And part of what I get to do um, when I talk about housing and husbandry, especially husbandry needs for uh, people with indoor-only rabbits, um, what these guys need to eat, you know, how much they need to eat of what, um, that's all the stuff that I get to guide them to and give them the right information for it. Um, with birds, a lot of the times it's um, not just dietary needs because certain things like this little mooch here will gladly help me with anything that I'm eating, but are they supposed to be eating diets that are rich in fats and proteins and things like that? Do they love carbs? This thing will steal mac and cheese if you blink long enough. Um, but we end up seeing um, things like uh, ulcers in the bottom of birds' feet because they're just in the same enclosure, same environment, same furniture all the time. We see uh, poor plumage and beak problems specifically because they're on just seed diets because, you know, that's what they prefer to eat, even though it's not what they should be eating, but it's all they're usually give, being given access to because humans have tried other things. And it's like, well, she's not eating that. So they just stop doing it. Um, and I would say, ultimately, the biggest problem that I run into that I treat all the time is giving people proper information on the husbandry required for their species of animal. And because I see so many different species, there's a lot that you need to have access to because it's not going to be memorized. Or I just call Drew. <laughs> or you just call Drew. Drew, I was going to turn to you mm -hmm. and ask you about um, some of the animals that you have indeed taken from inappropriate homes and, and taken care of. Tell us some stories. What, what have you come across in your years working in this field? Oh, geez. I mean, I, I've seen it all, heard it all. Uh, years ago, we had a snake that was set on fire. Somebody thought that it would be funny to get rid of it uh, by pouring gasoline. That didn't work out very well for the them or the snake, but the snake didn't survive many years after with time, uh, but she eventually passed. We, um, you know, we see most of it comes down to lack of, of proper education. When I go out and do my presentations, I always say, you know, the stores can only give you so much information in the time you're there. You need to learn about it before you get it, because if you learn about it before you get it, there's not, not going to be issues down the road and you can still learn more, but you know, it's, it's, we've seen it all. I mean, most of them, again, like Alex said, was, you know, metabolic bone disease uh, from improper care and dietary and lighting. And, and, you know, it's, I, some places are there to sell you, not tell you. And so again, it comes really down to your responsibility. You're the one that wants the animal. You're the one that needs to learn as much as you can about it. And yes, the internet is a terrible place. Everybody became a genius when the internet came around. Uh, so I, I, I and, and stay off social media groups. They have specialized groups for you know bearded dragons and and, and oh my goodness, they'll be great beginners who are trying to ask innocent questions. Um, stay off of them. You know, you're it, it's best just to get a book. Books have to be edited and fact-checked and, and books you can hold in your hand. And then you can, you know, there's so much you can learn. 
but I don't think the internet's the way in it, but it really still comes down to education and your responsibility before you get any animal, cat, dog, frog, lizard, snake, bird, horse, I don't care. Just, you gotta learn about it first. And Sam, I've seen you nodding this entire time Drew has been talking. And I know that at your um, store, people can't just walk in, buy a pet and walk out. What do they need to do to be able to buy an exotic pet with you? That's exactly right. Uh, one of the benefits of us being a privately owned company is uh, we have the right to refuse a sale if it's not going to go to a good home. Um, when people come in, you know, they walk right through the door, they'll say things like, I'm going to take a fish home today and I'm going to put it in a bowl. And that is my time to step in and I'm going to say, I'm going to stop you right there. Uh, we don't sell fish to an uncycled tank. Your tank has to have filtration, depending on the species, it has to have heat. Same thing if they come in, they're like, I want a bearded dragon. We're going to say, great, today is a fact-finding mission. We're doing some reconnaissance. We're going to learn about these animals. I'm going to tell you what they're going to need through each stages of their life. And I'm going to send you home with some ideas, maybe some links to websites that have been vetted, some good ideas for books to read, uh, a couple people's phone numbers if you have any questions, of course, if they sign off on it. And then I tell them, go, go do some research and then come back. Ask some questions. Bring a whole list of questions. We'll go right down, check them all off, and then we'll see if we can move forward. Because these are living creatures. This isn't like going to a store and buying a chair. If you don't take proper care of these animals, it's it's not fair for them. So as the stewards of these living creatures, it is the onus is on us to do the research to make sure that they're adequately cared for because surviving is not thriving. They, these animals deserve to have the best possible life. And that's what we're here for as educators is to make sure that these people who want to own and interact with these animals have the best information and set up for them so that they can succeed. Well, we are talking about exotic pets on Maine Calling. We do need to take a quick break. We'd love to hear from you. What pets do you own or what questions do you have about this whole part of our world? The phone number 1-800-399-3566. Send a brief email to talk at mainepublic.org. Post a comment on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. We'll be right back. Welcome back. This is Maine Calling. I'm Jennifer Rooks. We are talking about rare, unusual, exotic pets and how to keep and care for them properly. Joining me, Dr. Alex Monroe, a veterinarian with Topsom Veterinary Wellness Center, Sam Rutka with Easy Aquarium in Westbrook, and Drew Desjardins, animal rehabilitator with Mr. Drew and his animals too. Share your comments and questions. Send an email to talk at mainepublic.org comment on social media, or give us a call at 1-800-399-3566. I'll give the number again, 1-800-399-3566. And going to a couple questions from our audience that have come in, um, a message on Facebook, we posted a picture of a sugar glider. And so this is in response to that. If you are going to adopt sugar gliders, like the one in the photo, Please do extensive research and know that there is only one lineage ethical safe pedigree breeder in the entire state of Maine, last I checked, Patag Patagia Tails and Sugar Gliders. Who wants to tell me what a, a sugar glider is and why you'd want to keep one as a pet? 
It's the most adorable little ball of hate with a, hate? a pouch that usually comes in a pouch and it wants to bite you and be sleeping all day. They, so it's a marsupial. Yes. They, um, yeah, a lot of people, th that's a definitely an impulse animal. People see them with the big black eyes and the soft fur and they, they look like little flying squirrels. And so people are like, oh, they're so cute. I don't know how many people come to me and ask about them. And I'm like, they're the worst pets in the world. You know, they demand a lot of attention. Uh, they urinate over everything. You know, everybody gets these things and then they realize, oh, this is, and they're up all night. They sleep all day. And then people are like, oh, this is not anything like I thought, you know, they showed it on the video on Facebook that was three seconds long. Um, you know, so they're really not a great pet. Oh, my. Uh, well, since we're on that topic, what do you all see as common pets or <laughs> common in terms of the exotic animal world? That really aren't great pets. What would you add to the list that starts with sugar glider? Sam. Yeah. So um, in, in my line of work, we do deal a lot with reptiles and amphibians and small mammals. But of course, with a business name like Easy Aquariums, our specialty is aquatics. Um, now, in the state of Maine, you are not allowed to have what the rest of the country is allowed to have for aquatics. So uh, and just to break that down real quick, it's a the freshwater hobby in the state of Maine has access to approximately 5% of what is available legally to the rest of the country. So the majority of things in Maine are not legal anyway, but there are a few things that you can have that I strongly encourage people to reconsider before they purchase. And those would be things like the Amazonian red-tailed catfish that grows over four feet long. I mean, quite a bit over that. This animal gets very large. Fish do not stop growing at the size of their tank. That is a complete myth. They will continue to grow and live uncomfortable lives just as anyone who outgrows their enclosure would. And the red tail catfish, that's something that you can find in a lot of big box stores. And they look absolutely adorable, just like a little sugar glider. They come in, they're like three inches wide or long rather and an inch wide. They're just adorable. And then before you know it, they're able to break the glass right off of a 300 gallon tank. And if that sounded specific, it's because I've seen it happen. Another thing that's even more common, and you can tell by the name, would be the common Florida Placo. Hypostomus plecostomus. This animal, people get it. They're like, oh, it's going to keep the algae from growing on the glass in the tank. They produce a whole bunch of waste. They're pooping everywhere. They actually contribute to more algae growth than they clean in algae, and they get quite large. We're talking about a fish that can grow well over 16, 18 inches, just devours everything, and it has a big old canoe paddle attached to its butt. So as it swims through the tank, it's moving all your plants and decorations around. It's just not a good animal to have in any tanks that are smaller than 110 gallons, which is what most aquarists, people who keep fish, have, are tanks under 100 gallons. Sam, I want to go back to what you said at the beginning, that Maine, um, people who are into fish in Maine only can buy 5% of the rest of the country. Why is this? Why is it so much more strict here? Yeah, 5% give or take. Um, so Maine, as a lot of people know listening to the show, I imagine, has what's known as a whitelist. 
um, a lot of states have what's known as a blacklist. And what that basically entails is in Maine, if it's not on the list, you cannot have it. Whereas in other states like New Hampshire, they have a list of things you cannot have. So if it's on the list, you can't have that, you can have everything else. Um, now, of course, that can make things on the clerical end a little bit more difficult. So in Maine, we have this list, it's about maybe seven pages long of all these different fish you can have. And they break it down by species. So there are actually some fish from the exact same body of water in their natural habitat that you can legally have in Maine and others that you can't just because it's a, it's a different subspecies and it has a different name. And Is the have... worry that they would be set free and, and um, harm the ecosystem, the natural ecosystem? Well, it really depends on who you talk to. Um, in my experience, and I was on a specialty committee to try and reevaluate these laws a few years back. Um, we did get a few things changed, but not as much as I would have liked. Uh, for example, freshwater shrimp. We're the only state in the country where freshwater shrimp are illegal to have. And yet they wouldn't survive the warmest night of summer in our in our waters. Um, but they're not allowed because they fall under this gray area, quote unquote, where they could be considered a food source like our bay shrimp in the saltwater, but we obviously don't eat freshwater shrimp. And when you talk to people in inland fisheries and wildlife who make these lists, their argument is better safe than sorry. Mm. So we're not going to make these legal because it could be a problem. True. Yeah. Yeah. They, 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 as they put it to me one time, uh, they quoted Jurassic Park, you know, nature finds a way. And there are some things that I know in my end, I was on the committee on subcommittee for uh, reptiles and we had long discussions about certain things. Um, what was, you know, what was legal, why? And we looked at certain things and, and we sat down and, and one of the things we did is they were gonna make, if it was endangered in their native habitat, they were gonna make it illegal. Well, we showed that in this case, there's many cases where because of captive breeding, we don't take them from the wild anymore. They're actually plenty in captivity um, and they're thriving. We're not taking them from the wild. We haven't taken them from the wild. And so they, they kind of like just picked and chose. But we also, there were other reasons. It's not just survivability. A lot of people, that's what they think. You know, it's an exotic animal that can't survive in Maine, which is in most cases 99.9% .9 of the time true. Um, there are some exceptions, but the other things we that that like we looked at on the committee subcommittee was um, like for example, we, there's a sulcata tortoise. It's the third largest species in the world, full grown. It's going to weigh over 200 pounds and it's going to live 150 years. That was the reasoning on that. No, it couldn't survive. It's from Africa. It gets over 200 pounds, but you know what? So does a horse. But the reason was it lives five generations. And the state of Maine said, what are you going to do with an animal that lives five generations? Your great-great-grandchildren would inherit this, and they're not even born, or they might not even want it. And so it was the well-being. So there was, you know, we were looking at safety uh, of individuals. You know, with this, can this animal, like a uh, reticulated python, can it harm someone? We were looking at the invasive species aspect. They're also looking at, 
can this animal spread disease to our native wildlife? Right now, 43% uh, of the world population of amphibians are facing extinction because of chytrid fungus and ranavirus, which is because people released exotic animals into the wild. And this has caused the worldwide pandemic. So Maine is like, we don't want people releasing these animals. Um, so so there are I, real I, reasons, and then there are some that you question, depending on the there's, species. Yeah, there's a, lot, there's a lot of questioning, that's for yeah. sure. Yeah. Dr. Monroe, if someone brings you a pet that's not, you know, for your care, but it's not legal in Maine, what is your responsibility? Is this sort of like, um, do, you, do you have to report it? Can you care for it? Where does that stand? Uh, that is another gray zone kind of a question, uh, because there are certain species, especially of birds that people will bring in, that they have moved from one place to another, that they bring in for their wellness exam and their health care and things like that. And the biggest thing that's my responsibility is making sure that, that animal is actually well cared for regardless of the species. If there is something going on where either the owner already lived here and is calling to ask, I had one person ask about a blue iguana. They were going to specifically order it from Florida and um, was trying to ask for forgiveness instead of permission. They asked me about that fortunately ahead of time. And I said, that person shouldn't even be shipping you that animal. It's not supposed to come here. Um, but when there's something that's already established, I let these people know like, okay, this is not um, supposed to be here in the state of Maine. Here's the reasons why. And if it ever comes to light that you have one, that could be a big problem for you. The only time that I'm gonna absolutely put my foot down is if I see that there's a quality of life issue with an animal based, directly related to um, you know, neglect, lack of care, poor husbandry, you name it. and it's not able to be cared for properly. Um, and it's rarely like a, an intentional thing on somebody's part. Oftentimes it's just because they've got an animal that like Drew said, lives a long time and they inherited, um, or they've got an animal that's just way more maintenance, kind of like our banana beaked friend here that uh, she's gonna live to be 60, 80 years old. And um, you know, these, these guys are super duper smart. You, I've got a, like a seven to 11 year old rate of intelligence on my shoulder here. So uh, if it is illegal and not being cared for properly, you know, I know where to make a phone call. Um, often, you know, animals that were grandfathered in, people didn't know. And that's the other part about all the legalities that are passed is um, who's enforcing it? Uh, they pass a law and this is applicable to a whole bunch of things that it, nobody's really going around and knocking on doors. It's only when people um, like in Drew's position, they need to help take care of an animal. And then somebody's, you know, making a phone call to him saying like, oh, you don't have the right paperwork in order. And if he had to wait for the paperwork to be done, that animal would be in a detriment or the owner would release him into the wild or whatever. And a lot of those animals, especially reptiles, they're not going to make it in this kind of weather. That's right. Well, and so, one of the reasons um, I asked you that question, Dr. Monroe, is because I was thinking to myself, if it is your requirement to report, then people might not bring their animal in for care, and that would be a problem yeah, no. as well. So, so you really have to just exercise your best judgment when you see a, a, a pet that falls into that category. I want to toss to you all who, um, and maybe I'll send this to you first, um, Sam, and I'm sure you're expecting someone to say this. Kyle on Facebook writes, it is time to ban all exotic animals from domestic slavery. 
especially when so many face poaching and extinction. I mean, you know, there are a lot of people who don't like zoos for the same reason. What do you say to people who say we ought not be adopting exotic animals, period? Well, I am going to start by saying we don't have enough time, but I will try and keep it succinct. Um, there are people who take care of other people better than they do. Uh, there are people who take better care of their pets than they treat other people. There are a lot of different ways in life to experience the love of animal care and living with these beautiful creatures. And as long as it is being done properly and with the best interest of the animal, I think not only is it beneficial to the creature, but it can also be beneficial to, you know, humanity. Um, keeping, I guess the best way I can put it is introducing children to the beauties of nature is one of the best ways to ensure that nature will continue to be protected. Uh, as humans, we really can only pay attention to things that we're aware of. And if you're not aware of these things in nature, these animals, these creatures, these ecosystems, then you tend to forget about them and that can cause harm, whether directly or indirectly. So by introducing these animals to these young people or adults, getting a vested interest in their well-being on this planet and with us is a great way to help keep them around, keep their ecosystems healthy and grow the imagination and intellect with these animals. So I, I don't I don't buy the necessarily like domestic slavery as much as cohabitation. Yeah, and I, and I I want to add something to that because you're right, Sam. But one of the things people don't realize too is is that um, in some many cases, many of these animals would be extinct in the wild if they weren't kept in captivity. And a good example of that is the axolotl, a salamander that's found in Mexico. It's extinct in the wild. Now, there's reasons why it's plentiful in captivity, but the real reason why they're extinct in the wild, habitat loss, pollution. We did that. Mm -hmm. And so we can fix those problems. But if we, until we do, you know, these animals would be completely gone from the earth. But because of captive breeding programs, there's enough genetic diversity globally. We can reintroduce those species back to the wild if we can restore their habitat. And we're seeing that here in Maine, like the eastern box turtle. It's Maine's rarest reptile. Uh, and by the time most kids grow up, they'll be extinct in Maine. Another 10 years tops. Uh, so why? Because they live in southern Maine. And that's the part of the state that is developing the fastest. We're taking away their land. And that's where things need, people need to realize, yes, is it ideal all the time that a pet be kept? No, you know, whether it's a cat or a dog or anything, people can neglect it. But we need to realize too, there's a benefit sometimes to keeping a species alive so that maybe someday we the, reverse it. The American alligator is a good example. When I was a kid, they were endangered, critically endangered on the verge of extinction. 
And we changed our ways. And now they're in everybody's swimming pools and backyards because we changed our thinking and our ways. We can do that with a lot of wildlife. The crested gecko, a very common pet lizard, the most common, was thought to be extinct up until 1996. And we rediscovered the species and started massive captive breeding programs to establish a stable wild population. And no longer we take them from the wild because all the ones you see now are captive bred animals. We're not taking them from the wild. And that's that's a big bonus, you know, for a lot of these animals and, and for the owners because it's a better quality animal. Lots of questions coming in. Our phone number, 1-800-399-3566. Our email address, talk at mainpublic.org or find us on social media. We're talking about exotic animals, exotic pets on Maine Calling. We'll be right back. Welcome back. I'm Jennifer Rooks and you are listening to Maine Calling. Today we are talking all about exotic pets. With me, Sam Rutka with Easy Aquarium, Drew Desjardins, educator and wildlife rehabilitator, Alex Monroe with Topsom Veterinary Wellness Center, and Doc, the macaw, who is also with Topsom Veterinary and Wellness Center. Join our conversation at 1-800-399-3566. Send a brief email to talk at mainpublic.org, tweet at maincalling, or post to our Facebook page or to Instagram. Dr. Monroe, I just have to ask you something. Um, you say that Doc could live to be 60 or 80 years old. Do you have any idea how old she is now? She has a leg band from the uh, breeding facility itself. We were able to trace it all the way back to them, um, find out that she was uh, a female severe macaw, um, date of hatching, the whole nine yards. And so how old is she? Five. She's five years five, old. Five, five years old. And w you said that she's as smart as about a seven-year-old. What does she do? Um, well, it, when I say like smart as a seven to 11-year-old, I'm talking not just about the abilities of this one bird. I'm talking about all the big macaws, even some guys like ringnecks, um, cockatiels. They, what I am specifically implying is they need a lot of interaction. Um, it's not just about making sure she mimics the wolf whistle or, you know, gives me kisses on command. She does say hi, doc. She does say step up. She, she laughs like the Joker for some reason. I don't know who taught her that one that's disturbing to hear an empty hospital. Um, but with especially the big macaws, you're going to have an animal that lives sometimes and oftentimes with, uh, in, in my field outlives family members. Um, I'm, I'm taking care of a high, um, a military macaw that's on family member number three, cause it's outlived two of them so far. And it's still with people it knows, but these birds, they are used to a social network, a flock. Hence the reason she has docs flock. Um, they, if they don't have a flock of birds, they need the humans that are in their life to provide that interaction and that enrichment, that stimulation. Um, and when you don't provide that, you end up with all kinds of issues from the screaming bird, the self-mutilating bird. The amount of naked cockatoos I take care of is insane. And those birds are super bonded to one flock mate that they usually have as a, as a mate. Um, and they still have all the interaction with their flock members. They also fly everywhere to find their calories, to interact with their environment. They need to be on the lookout for predators. All that stuff is going on in their heads when they're out and about in the wild. And what do we do? This is my soapbox I stand on with large macaws. I, I tell people very often, 
humans are good at p- taking care of birds, but we suck at it. Um, these guys need to be interacting with other animals, especially other birds, other people. They learn their mimicry by being around people. It's not like, you know, they're just soaking it in and they're going to do this out in the wild if they hear somebody doing a jungle cruise around. They are replicating the sounds around them. That's why you hear them, you know, impersonating a a truck backing up or a phone ringing. It's just what they hear. Um, They end up with a bowl of food in front of them. What bird in the wild gets a bowl of anything in front of them? They're picking through a tree. They're, they're getting the berries off of there. They're cracking all the nuts. They're eating bark. They're stripping this, that, and the other. They're building nests. And they're also interacting with everything around them, whether that's to socialize with their flock or just try not to get eaten. They get to fly. They get to exercise. We put them in a cage. Half the, the birds are like in an enclosure while people are working for the day. Their flock goes away. And then they sit there, they watch stupid cartoons or something. Not joking, heard a bunch of times. There are bird TV channels you can find on YouTube. I guess it's better than staring at the back of a cage. Um, They don't get their, like their furniture, their toys rearranged or moved. And what we end up with are these birds with weird stereotypical behaviors, pressure sores on their feet. People are putting sandpaper dowels of all the same diameter in their cages. Oh, it'll shorten their nails. Birds don't perch on their nails. They end up with ulcers on their feet because they're always standing there, always putting pressure in the same spot and not doing anything. I I spend so much time with people talking about how you increase the interaction and enrichment with birds so that you avoid things like heart disease, a man-made problem in a lot of these birds, arthrosclerosis, hardened arteries, how you train them for recall, for flight how to become their interaction, improve their quality of life, because guess what? You signed up for that when you thought you got a cute animal that made noise and could, you know, beep like a fire alarm. And I'm guessing, Drew, this is how you you get a lot of your flock is by people who have gotten themselves into more than they can handle. Yeah, Um, that's how... Yeah, Seymour's Bird Refuge. There are only one like it in the state so far. That lady, Andrea Timms, is uh, up to her elbows in different species of cause. Sometimes it literally is bird, you know, out of the owner, but oftentimes people have a bird and they get too old to take care of it, or they have to move, or, gee, this thing's really loud, duh. You have to hang around <laughs> a conure for five minutes and see if your hearing's okay. Drew, and in terms of other kinds of animals, not uh, birds, what do you see? Um, what are you seeing that people, oh boy, this was not what I expected. Um, yeah, you know, I think, again, going back to people seeing stuff on TikTok and social media is places, they see little 30 second videos, whether it's, it's a bird doing something or a sugar glider or the little swimming hedgehog or the hedgehog wearing slippers on its feet or something, even seeing my presentations, like, oh my goodness, I want one of those. And so everything is really impulse. And, and a lot of people, once they get it, you know, they, uh, they realize it's not what they thought. And a lot of, par- a lot of people get them because they're their kids, uh, you know, because my child wants something. And I often say to the parents several things. I say, one, do you want it? Because, you know, your child is only going to take care of it for a couple of days and then they're done. And two, let's just take your child's age and add 10 years to it. 
So you want to, your son, your daughter, son wants a rabbit. That rabbit's going to live 10 years. Your child is 10. So now your child's going to be 20 years old when this rabbit could pass away. In between the ages of 10 and 20, what's happening in their life? They're going to school. They're hanging out with their friends. They might be involved in sports or scouting or something there. They're going to be dating, getting a job, getting their license. They might be going to college. They might be getting married by 20. I don't know. Having their own children. Who's taking care of that rabbit? It's not them. And so people need to not be impulsive. I always tell people, if everybody did what they were supposed to do, learn about the animal properly before they get it. And if I had to go out of business, I'd be okay with that. Okay, I would be I, fine closing my doors. I want to Why squeeze in. We were almost out of time. And I want to squeeze out a few more questions from our audience. And um, I'm going to go and I'll send this to you, Sam. Andrew on Facebook says, what about crows and ravens? Is the licensing pro process complicated? The licensing for corvids, uh, which would be crows and ravens. Uh, I honestly, I don't know within the state of Maine, but I know federally they are a migratory bird and they are covered under the Migratory Bird Treaty Act. So tread carefully. Yes, yeah, the state won't. The state won't approve it. Okay, yeah, there we go. Yeah, yeah. Seth writes, and Sam, I think this is for you with your line of work as well. My most exotic pet I've ever had were jellyfish. They were fun and easy to care for. Is that a thing? Absolutely. Uh, they are fun, um, easy to care for. Yeah, yes and no. Um, they are, you know, of course, a saltwater creature. They do require a very special tank known as a chrysal tank. Uh, which is essentially a tank that has no corners because jellyfish just kind of float about. And if they get stuck in the corner, they can kind of tangle up in themselves and perish. But um, yeah, delightful little creatures. Uh, fun to watch. It's like a living lava lamp. One of the things I like to just add to that is, is the definition of easy. Everybody's yeah. definition is different because anything can be easy if you know everything about it. And so it really still boils down to the education part. So jellyfish, 99% of them would probably end up dying in most people's care. But if you take the time to learn about it first, then over time, yeah, it does become easy. Bearded dragons are always sold as easy lizards. But if they're not given all the proper information, most of them, that's the number one animal I get in with metabolic bone disease because they're easy. And so people say, it's easy. I don't have to do much more. And it's like, you have a lot more to do and a lot more to learn, so... Yeah, an email here no from such thing as an easy chameleon. No such right. thing as an easy chameleon. Okay, that is going to be the quote for the day from Maine Calling. Um, <laughs> our family, this is from Virginia, an email. Our family of four humans shares our home with a cat, dog, fish, hamster, bearded dragon, and most recently two hermit crabs. Our nine-year-old daughter has loved animals for as long as we can remember and talks about one day becoming a vet. We have loved giving her the opportunity to learn about and care for different animals and have all grown up to be quite fond of our little brood. Among other things, I now describe myself as a lizard lady. And my husband has recently shifted to a vegetarian diet, a decision he attributes to our pets. So Virginia, I'm guessing, is the example of what you like to hear, a family that not only has pet these pets, but is completely dedicated to and, and focused on them. Absolutely. Uh, and I want to say it one more time, just so it comes through clear. 
and and these this person has proven that they are not doing this but and or are doing it rather animals are not an impulse purchase they are living creatures and they deserve proper care and when you give them proper care not only does the animal grow and thrive but the caregiver grows and thrives uh, this is a great example this person uh Virginia's husband, I believe it was, switched his diet because of what he learned about these animals. It affects everybody differently, but helping these animals to thrive will also help us to thrive. And this this family unit is a great example of that. Here's an email from Sherry. I have two rabbits. Rufus is 10 and Noelani is four and a guinea pig, Mr. Snuggly, who is four. They are all from a rabbit rescue. They are delightful, loving, and friendly. Regular veterinary visits and high-quality pellets and hay are very important to keep them healthy. Carrots are not a healthy food for these animals because there's too much sugar content in them. My animals are free-roaming in their own room and never enclosed. They liked being, they enjoy being outside in the summer where they like to run, jump, and explore and eat fresh grass and other vegetation. Mm-hmm. We're almost out of time, Dr. Monroe, but I want to wrap up with you. How many of how many people out there in Maine? It's a really rural state have access to a veterinarian like you who is qualified to care for these animals? Uh, Access to it is the trick question there because uh, in the last two and a half years with everything that happened, uh, the pet population, including the the realm of exotics, went up by almost 260%. The amount of time you have to devote to each one of them increased because of different protocols, curbside, et cetera. That's changing now, fortunately. Um, but also if you have a creature like a bunny, like a bird, especially birds and reptiles, there's, I think right now, maybe seven vets in the state that will be like, oh yeah, bring me a bird, give me a reptile. Like a a lot of the people that went through vet school, you get a lot of training on your normal animals, but unless you go through the elective courses for exotics, you don't get a lot of that information unless you choose to go through the continuing ed and whatnot. You have um, one small mammal board certified specialist for exotics in the entire state. And unfortunately, she's doing relief. There are no board certified specialists currently that I'm aware of for reptiles, for birds, um, or any one of the other weird exotic critters that we see. Um, and, and as it is access to like all the less common ones, especially on an emergency basis, you're calling around or you're taking a drive down to Angel or, or Tufts University. Mm. I can think of two practitioners at one at Midcoast Animal Emergency Clinic, Dr. Christy Peters. And then I don't know if she's still seeing them on emergency at the Lewis and E Clinic, uh, Dr. Alex Ortiz, that works emergency that is comfortable and uh Dr. Monroe, I have to cut you off. We're almost out of time. Thank you so much for being on the program. Dr. Alex Monroe, an exotic pet veterinarian with Thompson Veterinary Wellness Center. He's here today with Mac, the five-year-old female macaw, Drew Desjardins, owner of Mr. Drew and his animals too, and Sam Ratka, freshwater manager at Easy Aquarium in Westbrook. Today's sound engineer, KG Akimaladun, our theme music composed by Mike Jandro. Main Calling is produced by Jonathan Smith and Cindy Hahn. Be sure to sign up for our newsletter at maincalling.org. This is Maine Public Radio.